Adams, Adamly, Adamowski, Bueller, Burns, Burns, Burns. Time for School, Rock School, with your hosts, Dr. Joe Burns. 75% of the people used an idea from the earlier group (laughs) work. Only 8% of the people generated a wholly new idea. Why? Class is in. This is the Rock School Radio Show on the Rock School Radio Network. Hi, Tammy Burns. Welcome back. Thank you for saying my name. We relegated you to the sidelines last week. Nice that you could do that. I'm Joe Burns. Welcome to Rock School. Let me ask you a question, Tammy. Do you know the Picasso quote, good artists copy, great artists steal? I have heard that. Yeah, Do you remember when we talked and talked and talked about the concept that uh, Pharrell Williams had gotten nailed for something like $7.2, $7.3 million because supposedly he lifted the song Blurred Lines from Marvin Gaye's 1977 song, Got to Give It Up? Yes, I did. Yes. Uh-huh. It's being appealed. By whom? Well, by the lawyers who represent Pharrell Williams. Okay. Now, here's the wonderful thing about it. 212 musicians have signed a document supporting the appeal. And they include Earth, Wind & Fire's Philip Bailey, Verdeen White, Hans Zimmer, Catherine McPhee, members of the 3-6 Mafia, the Go-Go's Linkin Park Train, and Fall Out Boy. Of course, all the way down to 212. The reason they're doing this is because they are, quote, concerned about the potential adverse impact on their own creativity, on the creativity of future artists, and on the music industry in general, if the judgment in this case is allowed to stand. I'm quoting that, obviously. Oh, my gosh. Why? Well, here's the thing. How does Marvin Gaye's family feel about that? Come on now. Well, you're probably right about that. Well, here's the thing. The Atlantic, earlier this month, that magazine, The Atlantic, Mm -hmm. wrote a story where the, the person who wrote it put together a wonderful sort of conglomeration of all these neato mosquito little pieces that proved we in the Western world like certain sounds in music. And if you're going to write a song that is popular in the Western world, there are only so many sounds, so many movements, so many things you can use to make a song popular. Thus, if you use those things and you create a popular song, you have literally no choice but to sort of stand on the shoulders of giants, which makes you, I don't know how else to say it, right in the crosshairs 
of a litigious society. You have no choice but to be sued for plagiarism. I don't. I don't buy it. You don't buy that? Uh-uh. Okay, let's look at it. Let's take an hour and make the decision whether we as people, we as a Western society, can even create a new piece of music or if everything we listen to must be exactly how we like it. And if it's not how we like it, you're not getting a hit, pal. Or, you know, you okay, we'll give you a hit, but you've stolen it. So we're going to take the songs today and we're going to talk about this and the songs we play are going to be those that supposedly stole something from somebody earlier. You familiar with the song Jet, Are You Going to Be My Girl? Sure am. Supposedly stole it from Iggy Pop. Maybe, maybe not. Are you going to be my girl? Yes or no? Uh, No. No? Not till the show's over with. (laughs) Okay, here you go. Jet on Rockstar. Take my hand and come with me because you look so fine. Okay, coming out of Jet, those from Down Under that supposedly ripped off Iggy Pop, specifically the drum beats. Uh, yeah, could have been. But, okay, here we go. We're going to talk about an Atlantic, the Atlantic, the uh, the magazine. The magazine, They yep. published an article titled, Musicians are Wired to Steal Each Other's Work. Came out September of 2016. Do you, Tammy, think it's even possible to write a piece of music that is truly original? Do you or do you not? Uh, I do. You do? Really? Yes. You probably don't remember this, but when I was in PhD school from 93 to 96... Oh, I remember. One of the pieces of research that I did, I took 100 songs... And I broke down every melody line and I broke down every chordal progression and I I looked for common threads between them. They were almost all within an octave and they were almost all within the same general theme. And these were 100 songs over the rock and roll period. It, It seemed to me, and I wrote this in my piece of paper, that there was a comfortable concept. There was a comfortable thought process. There was a belief system in my mind that certain movements of chords made people feel good. So that's what artists used. And if that's what people used, then songs would tend to sound the same. Doesn't right. that make sense? It does. Yeah. But it, but if I if I can't believe in my own head that there is an, an original piece of music out there, yeah. then it's like not having hope. Well, there's two kinds of, uh, there's two levels of music, I guess I should put it. There is the nuts and bolts, the, the chordal progression, and there's the performance to it. And normally if you take two songs, say, you know, a Chuck Berry song and a Little Richard song, they're basically the same song at the yes, nuts and at bolts the core level. Of it. Yep. But they're performed completely different. Right. There's your difference. But if you take them down to the nuts and bolts, they're the same darn thing. Almost every single blues song is either in A or it's in D or maybe G depending on where the person sings. 
But they're the same song. They're in a what's known as a 1-4-5 chord progression. But they're the same song, and guitarists know this when they start to play it. They can basically play the song before it's done being performed on the record. Right. Because they know the format. But nobody looks at blues songs and goes, well, they've all ripped each other off. Or if they do... It's an homage. It's not anything that they then go and try to be litigious about. Yeah. It's the format of the music. Blues is blues. Right. And one person's performance, say Muddy Waters, is a different performance than, say, Robert Johnson. And that's where the difference lies. But this this article proclaims that now we're into this concept where litigious gets in the way. Think, think Rolling, not Rolling Stones, Led Zeppelin mm-hmm. and Taurus. Right. Were those two things close? The two guitar pieces? Yeah. Yeah, they were. Did one rip off the other one? I don't know, maybe. Was it enough for one to be paid 11 bajillion dollars? I don't know, maybe. But this is what's going to happen. We're going to have to realize in Western music, we like certain rules. And because of that, songs will be similar. But we can't allow that to be the concept of money. That's what the, that's what the thing was saying. And that's what we're going to talk about today. You know the song Come As You Are by Nirvana? I do. Killing Joke had a song called 80s. Uh-oh. Listen to them back to back. They're really close. Should Killing Joke get a lot of money? I don't know, maybe? It's Nirvana here on Rock School. Okay, let's do some mathematics on music. You know I'm not good at math. Well, I'll do the mathematics for you. I actually did this, too. If you remember in my Ph.D. world, I took a bunch of statistics courses. You ready? I am. How many notes are in a scale? Is it four? No, it's 12, 12. ladies and gentlemen. Shoot. Not only is it do, re, mi, fa, sol, la, ti, do, but you've got the sharps and the flats in there. So if you do it chromatically, there's 12. Oh, I suck already. Keep no, going. No, no. 12 notes. If you turn those notes into numbers, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, and put them in combination, there are 479,000 1,600 combinations of those numbers. That's a lot. Which means, now here's the thing, which means you could create that many combinations of chords. Okay, fine. That means you would start with songs that only had one chord in them. There would be 12 songs that only had one chord. Chord with an A, chord okay. with an A sharp, right. chord with a B, chord with a C, chord with a C sharp, chord with a D, chord with a D sharp, blah, 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 right? Believe it or not, I just followed that. Yes. Do, do songs like that exist? Of course they do. Yes, Chain of Fools by Aretha Franklin has one chord, C. Harry Nielsen's Put the Lime in the Coconut. It exists. C. Love it. That's it. The Beatles' Tomorrow Never Knows. One chord. C. That's it. 
then you would have a bunch of songs that have only two chords. Does that exist? Yepper. Get Back by the Beatles. Two chords. Horse with no name. Two chords. Go on. Are there songs with three chords? Yipper. Are there songs with four chords? Yes. Yep. Five chords. Six chords. Yes. Seven chords? <laughs> Next to none. Eight chords? Not really. Ten chords? No. Eleven chords? No. Twelve chords? Yeah. Now, here's the thing. Someone's going to say to me, Joe, you're absolutely wrong. There are songs out there that use all twelve chords. Yeah, but how many? Next to none. Normally, songs have around three chords. That's what we like? Four chords if you include the bridge. Now, someone's going to say to me, no, I can show you songs with more chords, like Mrs. Robinson has more chords. Yeah, you're right. But man, we like the blues type songs okay so three, three chords. chords and maybe a fourth chord for the bridge we love that okay fine 479,000 different chord groupings how many songs are on itunes 26 million whoa okay whoa. okay yeah it's the same chord progressions being used again and again are all those songs ripping off other songs before them? You know what? Yeah, probably. Because the people who write those songs loved the artists that came before them, loved the sound of the songs before them, loved the feel of the songs before them, and wrote something close to what they liked. What I liked, I wrote. You know, I liked hard rock songs, so I write hard rock songs. In the 80s. Right. I write songs that sound a lot like the 70s and the 80s. Right. I don't write stuff that sounds like the 60s. I didn't uh -oh. care for it. So you get that thing. Should I be sued? I don't know. Here you go. Here's a song that only has one chord. CCR, Run Through the Jungle. Do you like it? It's, oh, I like it. It's one... I love it. ...chord. I had no idea. Here on Rock School. about whether it is possible to even write a new song. I off. still believe it is. You really think so? I do. I want to believe that. It's not the concept of is it possible to have a new chordal progression. You'd have to put a lot of stuff around it. There would have to be new instruments. There would have to be new vocal stylings. There would have to be new performances. But the concept of new 
notes in a new pattern, you'd have a difficult time. Now, you may be able to do something that's just outside of the the belief system, something like, uh, I don't know, uh, like Yes, the group Yes, or some progressive rock group. The thing is, if you do something so wild and outside of that, it may not be a hit. That's the concern if you're going to have popularity. And if you don't have popularity, nobody sues you. Right, nobody (laughs) sues you for it. Okay, so let's talk about this. The movement between chords are, believe it or not, set in our brains. There, we have favorites. There was a 2002 article in Science Magazine titled, The Cortical Topography of Tonal Structures Underlying Western Music, believe it or not. As seen by an MRI? As a matter of fact, it was. These people looked at the concept of how we listen to music and when we hear certain movements between chords, how this movement between a chord makes us happy and how these movements between chords don't make us happy. The movement from C to A minor, a sixth, is very popular. The movement of a fourth. Now, someone's going to say, well, the movement of a fourth is really to a fifth because it's cyclical. It's a fourth up. It's a fifth down. Blah, blah, blah. Maybe yes, maybe no. E to an A, A to a D is very popular. It's comfortable. We like it. That movement is something that in Western music, and I keep saying Western music because if you look at Eastern music, Mm -hmm. they don't use the 12 tones. Right. They use quarter tones, which is why it sounds so weird to us. You hear something It's It's painful. It's like uh, nails on a chalkboard. Right. You hear something from Iraq, Iran, that's that's that weird, warbly sound. We don't care for it. Right. Exactly. We don't like it. So there are certain movements that we expect. There are certain movements that are literally implanted on our brains that we like. So if that's the case, can we literally say to a musician, look, you used that movement, and because you used that movement, you are guilty of plagiarism. No, I'm not. I'm guilty of making my audience happy. See the problem? Oh, nice choice of words there. Thank you very much. Who's listening to us? Uh, That would be KCMJ in Colorado Springs. Wonderful place. Make sure you get us on Facebook. Search Rock School Radio Show and like us. You really like us. Back in a minute here on Rock School. You know, the other night we were watching America's Got Talent. Yes, we watched the finals. And Mm -hmm. the little girl on there with a ukulele. Yeah, Grace Vander's something. Oh, very good. Yeah, she won it. Well, she sounded like nothing I had ever heard before in my life. That's right, she did. And she won the whole thing. And that's the reason why when we're talking about this show... I have hope that there is music out there that people are writing things that have never been written. See, here's the thing. Blurred Lines, to me, sounds nothing like Got to Give It Up by Marvin Gaye. One's in a major key, one's in a minor key. 
And when I listen to them together, one's kind of chunk-a-chunk-a-chunk-a-chunk-a-chunk 1970s, and the other one is reminiscent of it, if that's even a word. But no, I don't hear one into the other one. What I think is what you had was a, a, a jury who got talked into it. I don't hear one into the other. I was more shocked that Led Zeppelin wasn't meant to pay $10 million (laughs) to Taurus because that one sounded a lot more to me like equality. Isn't that the truth? You know what? We care more about bluesy 70s music than we do about rock and roll. Yeah, we do. Here's the thing about Grace Vander, whatever her name was. I can't remember the last syllable of her name. I think she's going to be, you know, interesting. I think she's going to have success. Someone's going to pick her up and she's going to have a hit here and there. Why did she sound nothing like anything you'd ever heard? Well, her lead instrument was a baritone ukulele. Now, that wasn't an instrument you hear most anywhere. And she sang in, and this is not going to be quite the right word, but she sang in kind of a yodel type of performance. She jumped into the falsetto a lot, but up and down a good bit. Mm -hmm. She didn't have a performance that was a great deal equal to a lot of pop performers. Um, She sang a lot of stuff that was more introspective than anything else. But I'll make you a bet if I could have seen the chordal progressions that she was doing, I could have shown you 10 songs that were the same chordal progressions. Because as I said before, music has two levels. There's the nuts and bolts, which is the chordal progressions. Right. And then there's the performance. What set Grace apart was the performance. Uh, that's for sure. Well, it there was spectacular. you go. There you go. She didn't sound like anybody else. But she if sounded you're gonna, like nothing I had ever heard in my gonna life. If you're going to knock her down to the just the... You know, just the nuts and bolts. Okay, I'm I'm with you. I buy that part. Right. I'll make you bet someone could sue her in the same way that Blurred Lines got sued by the family well, Marvin Gaye. that would be Gay. terrible. See, I never, I never heard Blurred Lines out of, out of Marvin Gaye. Never heard it. Okay, here's another one. I never heard this one. Hello, I love you. At by the Doors. Uh-huh. Is supposedly exactly the same song as the Kinks song, All Day and All of the Night. Da dunt, da dunt, da 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 dunt. Hello, I love you. Won't you tell me your name? I have gotten them confused before. Oh, you have not. I have. Oh, stop it. Does it bug you when I say that? Yes. Good, I'm going to say it again. Here you go. Stores on Rock School. Hello. Now, don't tell me while you were listening to The Doors, you heard the kinks. Oh, I heard it, man. No, not a chance. 
bottom of the hour, a little bit late. My name is Joe Burns. You are? I am Tammy Burns. Let's do seven days in 70 seconds. These are the rock and roll dates. September 26th all the way through October 2nd. October the reason to live in Louisiana. I think you got Monday, Tammy. Go. September 26, 1975, the Rocky Horror Picture Show opens in Westwood, California. Damn it, Janet. <laughs> September 27, 2004, legendary rock producer Phil Spector is indicted for the February 2003 murder of actress Lana Clarkson. September 28, 1991, Garth Brooks. Rope in the Wind yeah. becomes the first yeah. country album to debut at number one. I own that one. September 29th, 1967, Mickey Hart joins the Grateful Dead as its new drummer. September 30th, 1965, Donovan makes his U.S. television debut on Shindig. October 1, 1982, Sony introduces the world's first digital compact disc player in Tokyo. And finally, October 2nd, 1928, the first professional recordings in Nashville take place at DeFord Bailey as they lay down eight tracks in Victor Recordings, later RCA Studios, and all went well. Okay, do you remember the concept of My Sweet Lord by George Harrison ripping off the Shirelles' He's So Fine? Yes, Supposedly, when Atco Records, who owned He's So Fine, sued George Harrison, the judge said it wasn't a straightforward plagiarism. George Harrison did not say, I'm going to steal this song and walk away with it. The plagiarism occurred, according to the judge, subliminally. So this is the idea. This is what The Atlantic is talking about. This is the idea of you only have so many, not just notes, not just the concept of 12 notes, uh-huh. but within the 12 notes, you only have so many movements. You only have so many chordal progressions that the audience finds comfortable, that the audience finds enjoyable that the audience finds worth listening to and that my sweet lord right. he's so fine mm-hmm. is one of them yeah. and they're so ingrained on people's brains that George Harrison if you were to believe the judge he had no choice but to go with this as a descending line when you listen to Sam Smith He stole from Tom Petty, I won't back down. He's so fine. My sweet Lord. Mm -hmm. There's only, it's not that the 12 can't be mixed up. If they're going to be popular, you only have so many descending lines. It's not that the 12 can't be mixed up. There's only so many descending lines. That's what the Atlantic is saying. Do you agree or disagree? Oh, my head is spinning. How about that? George Harrison, my sweet lord, here in Rock School.
Okay, coming into the second break, believe it or not, we as creative human beings, I create, you create. In my opinion, there are two kinds of people in the world. There are transmitters and there are receivers. Mm -hmm. There are those that create. We create this radio show. I also play in a band. I also write a weekly column. There are those that create things for people. And there are those that just accept. I'm a tra- no, I'm a trans... You think you're a receiver? I'm a receiver. You're a oh, receiver. Oh, yeah, 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 okay. yeah, yeah. See, I consider myself a transmitter. Those that are transmitters, those that are creative people, mm-hmm. it says here are wired to steal. Now, don't don't take that the wrong way. Psychologist Dan Gilbert calls it kleptomnesia. Goodness. As in klepto, steal, and amnesia. I love it. I don't remember stealing it. You don't do it on purpose. You don't mean to do it. You just do. That is you. Here's, I don't steal. When's the last time I stole something? That was so you when you were saying those two words together. Say it again, klepto what? Kleptomnesia. That's not true. It's not true. Here's what he did. He set up an experiment where groups of people who he considered creative, they worked together and then individually were asked to think up ideas. 75% of the people used an idea from the earlier group (laughs) work. Only 8% of the people generated a wholly new idea. Why? Well, number one, it's damn hard to think up a wholly new idea. Oh, my goodness. It is. It's extremely difficult to think up something brand new. Yeah. And number two, you call up content from your brain where you think you're creating a whole new idea and you don't know where it came from. It may not be readily available And the sourcing may not be readily available, but you call it up from somewhere. And according to Dan, three quarters of what people called up was from an earlier time. And they did not know. Now, they reported they did not know. Maybe they did and just kind of went, I don't remember. But I can't imagine they did because you've caught me before making a joke or something like that and you've said to me that's from a comedian uh-huh. i don't remember oh who yeah it's you steal from. a lot of jokes you stole that from somewhere and i've gone no i haven't and you've called me and found it mm-hmm. where i've called the joke from and i was positive i made up the joke i was positive i made up the joke so that's the that's the thing you you are positive you've done it you didn't mean to steal but you did and that psychologist has found a way to prove that you did. Oh, my goodness. Slap your hand. Who's Slap listening? your own hand. Who's listening? KFOK in Sacramento, California. I love those call letters. Back in a minute here on Rock School. Okay, coming out of the break, let me give you yet some more academic work just to sort of reinforce this. The concept of 
not only are you limited by the number of notes, the number of chordal progressions, but it's not just that. It's the fact that you can only do so many. There's this guy named Dean Keith Simiton, I believe is how it's pronounced, and he did a study titled Thematic Fame and Melodic Originality in Classical Music. Not classical, the concept of the songs that we know. Okay. And he found that hit songs are generally all in the same melody statistically. From the abstract of the study, the papers specifically investigated the differential fame of 5,046 themes by 10 eminent composers of classical music. Hypotheses derived from past research in creative and aesthetics were tested using computerized content analysis. And what he found was that in that music, the melodies and such that were most popular yes. stayed within a general format. Those that went outside of that format and jumped outside of this general thought process weren't as popular. And you say, well, that's just one study. Uh, but wait, there's another guy by the name of Richard Haas, H-A-S-S, who created another study in the Journal of the Psychology of, Mu- Psychology of Music titled An Exploration of the Relationship Between Melodic originally, Originality and the Fame in the Early 20th Century American Popular Music. He did the exact same study, except he did it with sort of the classics of America. Uh-huh. And he found that melodies were grouped together as well, and as long as the melody stayed sort of small and together and within a certain melody format, they all were hits. When the melodies went way outside of it, they weren't hits Then why don't people just follow this? They do. And just create the hits. And they, they do. And when they do, guess what happens? They get sued. They get sued. This is too hard for me. I'm not going to write the hit. I'm not doing it. <laughs> that's what happens. Uptown Funk? Yes. Uptown Funk is a celebration of 1970s funk music. That's what it is. Mm-hmm. And people love 1970s funk music. Oh, yes. The problem was it got Mark Ronson sued. Oh, my God. It wasn't even worth it, was it? There is no such thing as borrowing. There is no such thing as celebrating. There is you stole, thus you, what have you. So somebody says, well, why did Mark Ronson go ahead and steal? He didn't. But he came close enough that lawsuit. I guess I guess problem. the money is so big. I guess there because guess. it's 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 not big in the blues, right? In I the don't blues, think anybody they don't they care in the blues, they do get, they? They can get paid anyway. They didn't get paid anyway. You know the song "Creep." It got yelled at because supposedly it got it stole. All I need is the air that I breathe. I don't hear that either. It one but, one line. Wait. It supposedly it stole the chordal progression and the feel oh. of all I need tonight. I don't hear that either. Maybe you do. There you go. It's creep on Rock School. When you were before, couldn't look you in the eye. You're just like a widow. What the hell am I doing here? Okay, last break here on Rock School. 
one more thing that I found in terms of the concept of not only are we sort of in Western music sort of uh, cloistered by the number of notes we can use, yeah, but the number of things that people find interesting, the number of changes, the number of melodies that the average listener finds interesting. When I did that large study on music that I mentioned at the beginning of the show, yeah, I found what this one researcher found was that pop melodies, like small steps, entire melodies are only within an octave, normally within a fifth. The Beatles even made the statement that a lot of their melodies are within small groupings of notes. Why? It's easy to sing. Not for them. For the audience. For the audience mm-hmm. to sing. So when you put your melodies within small groupings of notes, you yet limit yourself even farther. So if I write a song with a small grouping of notes and you do the same, we are even statistically closer to writing something that has no choice but to sound like one another. Goodness. You see the problem? A huge problem. And in a litigious society, there is no such thing as, gosh, that's nice. Doesn't that sound a little bit like what I did? And by the way, I didn't create mine out of whole cloth. I get it that the family of Marvin Gaye sued Pharrell. You're going to tell me that Marvin Gaye didn't rely on what came before him? He had to. Marvin Gaye is not an island to himself. Now you're talking, brother. See, there's the concern. Yep. So there you go. Boy, you just summed it up in a nutshell. I don't think think that I solved anything. Solved it for me. The Atlantic laid this thing out there, and the people who are behind the the retrial of this Blurred Lines thing have sort of set it up to say, look... There's going to have to be a thought process where you, you have no choice but to say these songs are going to sound like each other only because the audience likes this. Yeah. Does that make sense? It makes a lot of sense. So they, They're no. sucking the fun out of it for me. Don't mean to, but I this just is... want to dance and have a good time. <laughs> but this is rock school, and that's kind of the point of the show. So I'm Joe Burns. I am Tammy Burns. Whether you like it or not, that'll do it. Class is dismissed. I want a new-